It is a delight, of course, for us to be with you again. We really leave a little part of us every time we leave uh, because we followed you for 20 years and watching what God was doing here in the bedroom of Raleigh, North Carolina. So you have received the overflow of missions to military in your pastor. And uh, we delight in uh, Stephen being here and sharing the gospel, the word of God with you, uh, because um, we believe that the greatest enterprise on earth is winning people to Jesus Christ and training them how to live. This has been the ministry of missions to military now for 49 years, coming up on our 50th year. Uh, if you do not receive the militia messenger, I know many of you do, uh, if you just give me your name and address, I'd be glad to share with you the experiences of winning and training the military for Jesus Christ. That's been our call, along with a few other things along life's pathway, but uh, that's been our great joy. Watching young men catch a vision, and young women, and living in the light of eternity. That's the most challenging thing to me. And I rejoice that God has placed us at the crossroads of so many hundreds and hundreds of men over these 49 years to help them live for Jesus Christ. And now many of them scattered, I suppose, on every continent of the world as missionaries and pastors who once were sailors. Some came to us a little bit inebriated. Some came with burdens and frustrations and loneliness. But because people prayed for us like we pray for you, God's wonderful grace was manifested in their lives and uh, life became different for them. And we rejoice in what God has done. I love history. I minded in history when there wasn't so much history. <laughs> but reading the lives of People who have walked across the stage of time have left their mark on the pages of history. has always intrigued me. You know, I often come away after reading a biography and I ask myself the question, you know, what made them like that? What challenged them to do that? Or why were they such crusaders? And I'm, I'm challenged over and over again as I read their lives, whether I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame, or William Carey, or Hudson Taylor, or C.T. Studd, or F.B. Meyer, or Charles Spurgeon. You just go down the line of people who caught a vision dominated by a divine design for their life, and life became different for them. They had a will to win. And that's always challenged me. I think of a great example of that. His name is John Wesley. I was reading that he traveled 250,000 miles on horseback, averaging 20 miles a day for 40 years. He preached 4,000 sermons. He knew 10 languages. At 83, he was annoyed that he could not write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. At 86, he was ashamed he could not preach more than twice a day. He complained in his diary that there was an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. John Wesley. You know, all of us are on the grindstone of life. 
But the heroics knew how to face the grindstone so that it sharpened them and honed their personalities with, with optimism and endurance. And we too are on the grindstone of life. But if you don't face the grindstone properly, it'll dull your life. The wheels of circumstance will try to cheat you out of the very best that God has for you. Henry Drummond told D.L. Moody one day, the entrance into the kingdom of God is free, but the annual dues will cost you everything. And so as I think of the Christian life, the greatest challenge on earth, the challenge to win, to be what God wants you and me to be. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. While you're turning in your Bible, let me give you a little background of Acts chapter 20. Paul was completing his third missionary journey, and he was on his way back to Jerusalem. He wanted to arrive in Jerusalem in time for the Feast of Pentecost. Feast of Pentecost is the day in which the church was born in Jerusalem. Twenty-four years ago was the first Feast of Pentecost, when that wonderful day took place, the church was born. Quite frankly, as I was thinking about this Saturday morning driving to a prayer meeting, I thought, Paul was in Jerusalem 24 years ago. No doubt he was in Jerusalem on that great, noble day of Pentecost. And now he's headed back to Jerusalem. I wonder what was going through his mind. Because as he was going back to Jerusalem, no doubt he was thinking, as Acts chapter 26 tells us, and Acts chapter 8, and even in his own testimony, how that he had murdered Christians, how he had drugged fathers and mothers out of their houses, how he'd separated children, how he'd cast their votes against them. And now he's going back to Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God seemingly is impressing upon his mind that as you go back to Jerusalem, chains and and tribulation are going to be your lot. Once you were chaining people, but now, Paul, as you go back, chains and bondage are going to be your lot. And so we have before us this 20th chapter. Paul is standing on the seashore of the Mediterranean Sea, about 30 miles from Ephesus. He had called the elders down there because of time's sake, and he wanted to share with them one more challenge as he was on his way back to Jerusalem. So if you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter 20. I'd like to begin reading at verse 17. This is a three-minute challenge from the Apostle Paul. So would you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's precious word? You follow along as I read... Paul's challenge to these Ephesian elders. And for Miletus, he sent to the, uh, to the Ephesians and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I had been with you all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with tears and temptations, which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and I have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, 
Save the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city, saying, Bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, you shall see my face no more. Therefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed or to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous woes enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and, and them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Father, I thank you for these three minutes. I thank you for a testimony of the Apostle Paul. I thank you that these things were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Give us ears to hear. Give us wills to blend with thine. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to pick out just one text out of these uh, three minutes of reading. It's verse 24. And quite frankly, it would be my design and desire that I could write this one verse with a diamond point on your heart. This might be called the purpose statement of the Apostle Paul. Acts 20, 24. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the grace of God. I believe many of you have the New American Translation, and it says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I might finish my course and my ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I love the New Living Translation. It says, My life is worth nothing unless it for doing the work assigned of me by the Lord Jesus. What a tremendous statement. What passion. It reminds me of Martin Luther, who was warned against going to the diet of worms. And in response to the warning, he said, I care not if there are as many devils as tiles on the the roof. I'm going back to the diet of worms. 
And so that same kind of conviction pervaded the Apostle Paul and many, many saints down through the years. Why? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. It was the Apostle Paul who could say, Thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in all, th- in all places. Or again, he said to the Romans, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. None of these things move me. Neither count I myself dear unto myself, my life dear unto myself. I'd just like to point out three things in this verse. First of all, he says, my life. My life is a precious gift of God. In essence, I must invest it. My life, my course. My course, he says, is assigned by God. I must finish it. The third thing he's saying in this verse is my ministry. It's a responsibility to God. I must fulfill it. Let me say that again. He's saying three things in this verse. My life, my course, and my ministry. My life is a gift of God. I must invest it. My course is assigned by God. The race course that I'm on, it's assigned by God. I must finish it. And my ministry, it's a responsibility to God. I must fulfill it. So the great question tonight is simply this. Life is a gift of God. How can I invest it worthy of my immortality? You know, preservation of life wasn't very high in Paul's agenda. Because he knew the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, whosoever save his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses his life for my sake shall keep it. You know, you can either invest your life or you can spend your life. In fact, everyone does. Are you investing your life? That's a great question. You say, how do you invest your life? Well, first of all, if you're investing your life, you're thinking in terms of relationships, your talents, your gifts, your ministry. Every Christian has a ministry. You know, maybe it's a shop. Maybe it's your office. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's a classroom. Maybe it's a desk. But everyone has a ministry if they belong to Jesus Christ. And the great challenge is to finish it. You know, life is like a gift certificate. It must be used. It's valid. But in order to really be used, it has to be presented to the endorser. Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of your life. He's the author and finisher of my life. If I am going to have what God intended for my life, I have to return it to the endorser. If I'm going to cash in on this certificate, 
I must give it back to the one who gave it to me. And to be possessed of Jesus Christ and to allow him to live his life through me is the most positive way of investing my life in time in the light of eternity. So as Jesus said, but as many as received him, the endorser, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. You know, it's an awesome thought to consider that I only have one life. You only have one life, but you have all eternity to live it. I think of John Ahern, the director of our ministry in Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville, North Carolina, recently gave a gospel tract to a Marine, and the Marine said, gave it back to him, said, I don't need it. And John gently said to him, you'll be there longer than you'll be here. He said, thank you, I'll take the track. How long will you be there? I don't know. But you know, it's a certain thing that if it's not in my life of eternal consequence, it's consequently insignificant. Because we are creatures of eternal consequence. Again, I say I only have one life but I have all eternity to live it. Maybe that's the reason David prayed in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach me to number my days that I might apply my heart unto wisdom. Maybe that's why Paul thought so strongly, none of these things move me, because my life is a gift of God. It's the only one I'll ever have. I must invest it now. But to invest it, the second word is my course. To invest my life, I must be in the right course. I must be headed in the right direction. My course, my racetrack, I must finish my course. You know, the course is not a hundred-yard dash. Some of you are discovering, like myself, more and more that life is a marathon. What a tragedy for a person to quit the race before the end life. What a tragedy to get out of the race. The Apostle Paul said, I press towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was pressing towards the mark with all of his ability to his last days. He said, I keep my body under, and I bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself would be a docomus. I would be set in the shelf. He said, the most tragic thing that could happen to me as a believer is to be out of the racetrack, out of the course, out of the privilege of living in time for the light of eternity. I think of a, one of the most profound verses on living this kind of life is found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's a good verse to have circled in your Bible. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with an open face, an unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the Lord, are changed into the same glory, the same image, from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, If there's a secret in life... It is beholding him. And that's a present participle which literally says, I presently, moment by moment, day by day, I must behold him. As I behold him, 
He transforms my life from glory to glory. If I'm on course, if you're on course, what is God doing? Day by day, he is molding your life, he is shaping your life, and will you see it again? Oh, yes, you will, and so will I. I have framed in my office this statement by Adnarm Judson, a Baptist missionary many years ago. Adnarm Judson wrote, a life once spent is irrevocable. It will remain to be contemplated through eternity. The same may be said of each day. When it is once spent, it is gone forever. All the marks which we put upon it, it will exhibit forever. Each day will not only be a witness of our conduct, but it will affect our everlasting destiny. How should we then wish to see each day marked with usefulness? It is too late to mend the days that are past. The future is in our power. Let us then each morning resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish to wear it forever. And at night, let us reflect that one more day is irrevocably gone, indelibly marked. Think of that. That every day that God gives to you and to me, we are decorating. And we're going to someday look back on time and view the garb of which we decorated August, September, October. But each day, the opportunity is ours. And the challenge to the Apostle Paul was that he might finish his course with joy because he knew that every day was marked. And he would see it forever and ever. You see, the measure of Our success is achieving the goals that are set before us. Yes, even the obstacles and the opportunities. For really the test of character is what it takes to stop you. The test of character is what it takes to get you off track. I had a dog back in the farm and years ago as a boy growing up, and he was a nice dog. Wagged his tail, licked my hand, but... You know, I love to hunt pheasants in the fall. And so I would take my dog down the corn row, and he would do a great job scaring up pheasants until he saw a rabbit, and then he was gone. A little while, he'd come back and lick my hand and wag his tail, and we'd start down the corn row until he saw another rabbit, and he was gone. And you know, passing through life, I see people like my dog. They get on course. And stop beholding the Lord Jesus. Stop reading the Bible. Stop spending time with the Lord Jesus to begin every day. And what happens? Strangely, they veer off course. They quit the race. They lose sight of the goal. And what a tragic thing that is. Are you in the race today? Paul said, I must be on course. The third thing is that he said, my ministry, my life is a gift of God. I must invest it. My course is assigned by God. I must finish it. My ministry is an accountability to God. I must beware that I fulfill it. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this or spoke this to the Ephesians, was, as I said, headed back to Jerusalem. 
For 11 years, he'd been a missionary, a church-planting missionary. He went from city to city and preached the gospel, won people to Jesus Christ, met with them on the Lord's Day, baptized them, ordained deacons, and then moved on to another city. But at this juncture of life, Paul's ministry was dramatically going to change. He had asked the church at Rome in Romans 1.10, three years previously, to pray for him that he might have a prosperous journey to Rome. In chapter 19, the previous chapter, he said, I must see Rome. That was the burden of the Apostle Paul, for he knew if he could stand at the capital of the world, the influence of the gospel could reach out to many people. He wanted his ministry to be most effective. No doubt Paul was a great strategist in evangelization and reaching people with the gospel. But now as he's headed back to Jerusalem, in his mind was the thought of the Spirit of God saying to him, bonds and afflictions are years. How are you going to face life? And as you watch him as he goes back to Jerusalem, he's soon in a debate with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they begin to pull him apart. And he's rescued by Roman soldiers, Romans uh, Acts chapter 23. He's rescued by those soldiers, incarcerated, and for the next two years, he's in Caesarea. And then there's that long trip from Caesarea to, to Rome. The period covered five years. During these five years, the Apostle Paul is not really a transplanter. His form is an army barracks. His congregation is Roman soldiers. His challenge is to win those to Jesus Christ as he's chained to them one after another. Every six hours, a, 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 a new soldier would march into wherever he was and chain himself to him. And this is his new opportunity to witness to another. You say, well, why would Paul be incarcerated, placed in prison, when he was really at the very peak of his church planning ministry? Well, if you would take those five years and calculate them, you would discover that in those five years, Paul had 7,000 witnessing opportunities to Roman soldiers. In fact, Linsky in his commentary says, those five years and those two, especially in Rome, were the most fruitful years of Paul's ministry. The simple truth is that the Apostle Paul was the first New Testament missionary to the military. What an example he set for me. One after another, as he witnessed to these Roman soldiers, leading them to Jesus Christ, his ministry was being fulfilled. For he was so excited when he wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, the things which have happened unto me have just uh, fallen out further or to the furtherance of the gospel. It's something that I never expected. All the praetorium, the 9,000 centurions up there in the hill in the barracks are hearing the gospel. And, the, and even those in Nero's household send you greetings. Who would have ever thought that the adaptability and flexibility of this apostle would be such that God could use him in a Roman army to be a witness to those who would herald the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Roman Empire. But Paul had to be willing to be a prisoner. He was willing. There was a bend in the road. 
Paul was on course. He could have missed that bend in the road because it was something that he had never planned on. Spending his last years witnessing to the military. And as I think of the concluding life of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Yes, I've finished my course. I didn't quit. I fought a good fight. I didn't run. I kept the faith. I didn't sell out. My life has been invested. My course has been finished. My ministry has been fulfilled. I've come to the end of life. And as I look back over these lives, Acts chapter 20, 24, as Luke records, it thrills my heart. None of these things move me. That was the axiom of the Apostle Paul probably long before he was ever converted. He thought nothing could move him. But on that road to Damascus, he met the unmovable one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, the commands of Jesus Christ were the prime motivation of this great Jewish evangelist. And now he's come to the end of life, moved by the grace of God. It is finished. And he says, I'm leaving this rat-infested Mamertine prison in Rome. I'll exchange this dirty, dark, damp, dismal dungeon for the courts of glory. Paul was financially broke, forsaken of friends. Without fame or fanfare, he crossed the finish line. The flash of a guillotine, and he departed. But he arrived in heaven. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. The Christian life has always been across the current. It's always been uphill. It's always been in a narrow road. But the grace of God is always sufficient. But there must be a will to win. Calvin Coolidge's Former president of the United States once said, press on. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is filled with educated derelicts. Persistence determination are overwhelmingly powerful. None of these things move me. What moves you in your life? What is the prime mover? What challenges you? What is the greatest opportunity that life holds for you? I say to you tonight, that the moment you catch a glimpse of what Paul was doing here, 
Everything else fades into insignificance. The greatest challenge on earth is winning a bride to Jesus Christ. The greatest privilege on earth is being a witness for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you have a will to win? If you're a Christian, you're on the winning team. What a tragedy to quit before the race is over. Maybe some of you got off track in that bend in the road. There was a time when there was vibrancy. There was excitement with the Bible. There was a thrill of passing out a gospel track. There was a joy of being a witness for Jesus Christ. But somehow, somewhere, I got off course. I lost sight of my life as a gift of God. And something moved me aside. I need to get back on track. Is that you? God allows U-turns. He invites you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few moments together. Thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the testimony of thousands of saints who've marched down through the ages of time, across the stage of time, and declared their allegiance to thee. They live so freely. They live so fully. Oh, to climb into their skin and to sense their passion. Oh, to listen to their heartbeat or their prayers as they pled their case before the throne of heaven. Oh, God, instill within our hearts and within our souls the privilege of running a race that we'll only run once, but we run it in the light of eternity. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.